job. Appreciate these guys, all the hard work that they put in, and appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for showing up today. It's a big deal, right? Takes more than a guy showing up with his Bible to have church. And so you're here, and I appreciate that very much. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. It's a, we got a long day today. We've got a meeting this afternoon at 2 o'clock, our annual vision meeting. I'm very excited about that. I've not been excited about it for the past few years. This year, I'm excited because we've got some very positive things, encouraging things to share. And so looking forward to that. hope you'll come back for that. And uh, because of that, I've shortened the sermon down today. Uh, significantly. So this will be a very short sermon. Just keep telling yourself that and um, we'll see what happens. It's literally uh, one of those, really we're at one of those points in this, in the, in the subject matter that this could turn into another whole series. And y'all know how I am about that, you know, series, you know, mini series, many, many series, and it has all of the trappings. To be that, so I'm, I'm trying to avoid it. I'm trying to give you everything. I'm going. Uh, I'm going on the assumption that you're good listeners and good students, good note takers, and uh, that you don't need me, need me to elaborate a whole lot. So I'm going to give you the information. I'm going to judge the way your face looks as we go through this, and to determine where we go from here. Okay. So this is not on me. It's on you. If you don't like the way this goes today, this is not my fault. So. It's just the way we're going to roll. But uh, look with me in 1 Corinthians. We're dealing with, um, okay, so first of all, the church is messy, right? Um, not, not our church, but church itself. The whole, the whole construct of church in general um, is built on the fact that, that we're all sinners. Um, we all are still a work in progress. We all have room to grow. No matter how long you've been saved, you still have, you still have room for improvement. Would you agree with that? Based on the three people that said yes to the first couple things I said, we'll go out on a limb and say we're in agreement. But, but it's a reality that, that church is not made up of people who are, who are just winning at life all the time. Church is made up of people who we, we are saved by the grace of God. We've professed our faith in Christ Jesus. We have come together to carry out the mission of the gospel. Uh, but yet, we're, we are, we're still flawed in and of ourselves. And we're, we're still working on us. And therefore, um, when you walk in here, if you walked in today as a visitor, I hope you felt welcome. And I hope you did not get the feeling um, that you're a foreigner among a bunch of perfect church people. Because you are not. You are, if you're broken, if your life has, you know, a few things that you wish you could change, you're in good company because we all feel that way and understand that that's just life. And, and so that's what church is. Church is a, is a, is a place for broken people who are being served by other broken people. None of us are all together just yet, right? And so then this part of the series is we're talking about faith management. And so I want you to look with me in chapter three, beginning in verse number one. We'll read down a few verses and then, uh, and then fill in some blanks here in just a second. Chapter three, verse one, Paul said, I, brothers, when I, when I came to you, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babies in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? I haven't taken much time to elaborate on that statement in verse 3, but, but Paul really indicates that we ought to be living above the realm of the normal. We've been, we've been brought to life by the power of God's spirit. And so that even though we are still broken people and we still have our own struggles, we should be transcending these things, right? Still a work in progress, but, but definitely doing better. But Paul said, you, you've reached this point now, really kind of an indictment on the Corinthian church. He said, you've, you've reached a point where you ought to be able to hear things on a higher level. You should be able to process things through the lens of spirituality. Like you've been brought to life by the power of the Spirit. You have been fed by the Spirit. You've been led by the Spirit. And now you're still in this sort of state where you're, you're functioning and operating in the same old mindset. You're still doing things the same way you've always done them. And in his words, he said, you're, you're still behaving like mere men, right? 
You're behaving like just mortal people when in reality you've been given eternal life by Jesus Christ. You understand that eternal life is the sole possession of Christ himself. And he said to those who put their faith in him, he said, I give you eternal life and you'll never perish. Neither shall any man pluck you out of my hand. He said, you have been given this, this, this power, this potential to go beyond what's normal. And he said, in fact, if you're still living in this realm where you're limited by normalcy and by, by the elements of this world, you're not going where God wants you to go in life. And so verse four, he says, for one says, I'm of Paul. The other says, I'm of Apollos. He said, you're so carnal. He said, you're still, you're still identifying yourself with men and movements and you're, you're trying to put God in a box. He said, you've got to get past that. Verse five, who's Paul then? Who's Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So he's talking really about preachers, ministers of the gospel. And I, I've got to deal with it when we get to chapter four, just some things about preachers in general. I told you that we could approach chapter three from a few different uh, vantage points. And one of those is, is spiritual leadership. We're going to eventually have to deal with spiritual leadership and the importance thereof. But let me just go, go ahead and say this this morning by way of introduction. Preachers are strange creatures. <laughs> just made that up, but it's a true statement. Preachers are odd. They are. I'm one of them. I can say it. We're weird. We're different. We're wired funny. And, and some of that's by design. God did that. Um, but, but he said, look, God is going to give you people who minister into your life. God has ordained spiritual leadership in the, in the context of the New Testament economy and the New Testament church. He's ordained it that way. But, but don't ever pin your identity. Don't ever pin your confidence in a particular spiritual leader. They're important and we all need them. And yet they're mortal just like you are. Right, I know that's a shocker, but but preachers are are I know, sorry, bro. Uh, preachers are we're mortal, and so he says he says, look, he who plants you waters will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we're God's fellow workers. Verse number nine: You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for other foundation can no one uh, can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now skip down to verse number one of chapter four. He says, "Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful." Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to gather together in this place. Thank you for facilitating this opportunity for us. We don't want to take it lightly, Father. We don't want to take it for granted. And so we yield our hearts to you. Lord, we lay ourselves at your feet and we ask you today that you'd speak to us. Every person in this room from here to there has a different need in their heart. My need in this moment is your wisdom. I need your power. I need your spirit to direct me. And then their need is for you to take the word spoken and, and specifically apply those words to their hearts and minister to them. Father, I pray that you'd grant healing to those who need it. I pray that you provide every need of every person in this room. And most of all, if there's someone under the sound of my voice who does not know Christ as his or her Savior today, I pray they'd get that settled. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've tried, I think at least I hope we have well established the fact that when the text talks about us as a building, uh, it's talking about the life of faith that we live as believers in Christ. Y'all been here so far? Man, half y'all weren't here last Sunday, by the way. You bunch of backslidden, no account, staying at home, watching in your pajamas from the couch. No, I'm glad, I'm glad you stayed safe. It was a little nasty last week. But I hope you at least tuned in and understand that the, the context that we're dealing with is that when, when we read all these things about being God's, you know, uh, Paul said he's a wise master builder who laid the foundation. He said, you are God's husbandry. You are God's building. It's referring to our faith and, and how we build 
from here as believers in Christ. So I want you to notice again in chapter 3, verse number 11, he said, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I want to just say very quickly that if you're building your life on any foundation other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a faulty foundation, and we'll deal with that in just a second. He says, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And by the way, uh, religion has tried to build on a different foundation for 2,000 years now. We've, 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 we've constructed um, so-called faith systems that are not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we'll sprinkle him in along with other rituals and other saints and angels and other things. But the reality is Jesus is the cornerstone of all that we believe in. He has to be the foundation. And so the essence of what is being said in verse number 11 is that if your faith is not built fundamentally on Jesus Christ alone, then, then we need to go back to the, to the starting gate and, and, and rebuild, right? You got to go back and, and sort of dig out some things. And I said last week, sometimes it is important to deconstruct. I, I kind of am hesitant to use that, that terminology because we hear it a lot in reference to faith, that oh, I deconstructed my faith. Listen, we ought to deconstruct a lot of things, but do not deconstruct the gospel. Our life is built on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he resurrected after three days. That is the foundation of all that we are, but we've built a lot of other things on that or around it that in some cases need to be torn down. So he says, other foundation can no one lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, all good material, right? Gold, silver, precious stones, of course, we could scrutinize what all that means, uh, but, but there's no need to. We understand it's, it's saying using good materials, you can now build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. However, uh, some may choose to use wood, hay, or straw. Not good material. Verse 13, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, I don't understand everything that means. I just know it doesn't sound real comfortable, right? That one day, God's eyes who see everything, knows everything, understands everything, knows my motives, knows everything about me, is going to be my judge, and he's going to look at what I've done with what he's given me and reveal whether it was genuine or whether it was counterfeit. He said there's coming a time when that day, the day of the Lord, will declare it. And so, so when we're talking about faith, we understand that faith, as it's defined in Scripture, is to be understood in two primary applications. Application number one is that faith is like an unseen hand reaching out and receiving a gift from God. Y'all remember me saying that last week? I didn't say it last week. That was a trick question. Oh, I tell you what. So, tricked you, didn't I? I sort of said it last week, so it wasn't entirely a trick question. Faith is like an unseen hand reaching out and, and receiving a gift from God. So here's what I did say. I just said that in a different way. In this sense, we see that faith is a transaction or an exchange that takes place between God and man, right? So in fairness, that's what I said last Sunday. Faith is an exchange that takes place between God and man. So this is what it means in Romans chapter 4, verse number 3, where it says, Abraham, this is what it means in Romans chapter 4, verse number 3, when it says that I was trying to distract him so I could wipe my nose. Jeez. Now everybody's watching me and I'm embarrassed. It's just mortifying. Romans 4 verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for, for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. That phrase is repeated three times in the scriptures. You can also see Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, and James chapter 2, verse number 3. But, but here's the essence, and here is the context that it's being used in Romans chapter 4. It means that God spoke to Abraham. Abraham responded in faith, and with that, a transaction was made. So God extended a gift, as it were, to Abraham. Abraham, in faith, reached back to, toward God, 
believing the promise of God, receiving the gift that God offered to him, and by that, a transaction was made. So, so the, the reason why Paul used that in Romans chapter 4 is that it is a perfect example of what happens when a person calls on Christ in faith to be saved. God is the one who initiates the relationship. You never see man independent of God seeking God. God is always the one who pursues after those of us who are lost, those of us who are broken. This is why Jesus said things like he's the great shepherd that left the 99 sheep in the fold to find that one which was lost. He's always the one who initiates. He's always the one who pursues. And yet, God extends to us this offer of salvation, this offer of grace, and in faith we receive it. So in this sense, faith is a transaction. God offers to us eternal life through the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, through his bodily resurrection. He brought us justification and redemption. And so then we reach out in simple faith and trust in him and believe in him. I don't know where you were in your knowledge of God when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, but I sure enough couldn't break down all the constructs of theology or the finer points of eschatology or soteriology or any of the other bigologies that I nerd out on today. All I knew was I was lost, I was broken, I needed something more than what I could produce on my own, and I understood in faith that Jesus died for me, that he loved me, that he'd received me, no matter how scarred up or messed up I was, and in faith, I put my faith in him, and he brought me to life. I can't explain what happened in that moment. All I know is I was blind, and now I see, and God resurrected me to eternal life. It's a beautiful thing, and so you don't have to understand all the fine points and details of biblical theology But you do have to recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you come to him in faith, he saves us. It's a transaction that's made. We reach back out. God extends his grace to us, and we reach back in faith and believe in him and are thereby born again. So that's application number one. Application number two is that we see faith as a system of beliefs. And here's where some people get a little confused at times when they read this word in the scriptures, we often want to apply it in the same way every single time. But the reality is the word is used in in a different connotation in different passages. And so context is always king, right? So so every church, I said this last week, but but you need to hear it because this is vital. Every church has what we would call a statement of faith. You ever heard that terminology used? You should check the statement of faith out to whatever church you choose to attend because it's important what a church believes in. Amen? So every church has a statement of faith, which, which within that it should outline in greater, sometimes lesser detail what they believe at their core. Okay? Some, some statements of faith are, are ridiculously detailed, Right? outlining things that really shouldn't be core values of a church but but so but the but the but the truth is and it doesn't matter whether they elaborate or not every church organization should have a statement of faith. Our statement of faith is very simple. We believe the Bible is the very word of God from Genesis to Revelation. We believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh who came to the earth to become the propitiation and the sacrifice for our sins and all who put their faith in him will be born again. We believe that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. That's our statement of faith. So we have one. I just gave it to you in one long breath with no periods or semicolons. You know, but, but what I'm saying is that's important because, because everything we do builds from there. And every church should have that. Every church in general does, for the most part, have a statement of faith. Uh, but, and so when we talk about faith in this connotation, we understand that faith is a system of beliefs. And so, so you'll read in passages like 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1, where it says, the Spirit uh, expressly says... That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Did you see the word faith used in that context? In the latter times, the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits or doctrines of demons. Meaning that, that people can claim to believe one thing and then walk away from it. I've seen preachers do this. Claim for years to believe a certain system of theology to stand on certain doctrines of the Bible and all of a sudden one day they just abandon it, they walk away. I can't fully explain that, but what I can tell you is that they walked away from a belief system. You say, well, were they ever saved? That's not for me to judge. 
All I know is they walked away from a belief system. They abandoned what we'd call apostatized, a certain system of faith. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about when he wrote to Timothy in chapter 4, verse number 1. Some will depart from the faith. So the faith is a reference to an individual system of beliefs. So every single one of us, whether you recognize it or not, conduct our lives according to our most deeply held beliefs. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really know that I have that, you know, this, some of this deep, you know, system of theology. I don't know that I really have this deep inner core of, of, of beliefs, but, but the truth is you do, whether or not you recognize it. And your life will eventually manifest what you actually do believe deep down within your heart. We could say it this way, you, you will manifest what you meditate on. Whatever you genuinely believe deep down in your heart. Now, we got to be careful because a lot of this weird mysticism these days, this does not mean if you walk around and think to yourself, I own a yacht in the Caribbean and you imagine it over and over. Okay, that doesn't mean that poof, it's going to appear there all of a sudden one day. You get that right? Please tell me I'm talking to people that understand that. Okay, so, so you can imagine things that are not actually there. You can imagine being wealthy. I've thought for years that I'm a multimillionaire. It's just not working. I don't know. Let's keep thinking it. But truth is, I don't think that way. But people who do, so even though you can't necessarily manifest a material thing, if you, if you meditate on material things like that, if that is your goal in life, is that, if that's your direction, if that's your, if that's your highest aspiration, and that's what you spend your, mind, your, your mental energy meditating upon, you may not produce the exact outcome that you're thinking on, but you definitely will manifest a materialistic lifestyle. Does that make sense? So you, you won't necessarily manifest predominantly or exactly what you meditate on the most, but you will manifest and you will live out the basic beliefs and desires of your heart. This is why the Bible can make bold statements like, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You get it? Remember that? I'm reading your faces right now. You do understand that. You have a, you have a faith system. You have a belief system. See, this is why Jesus said things like, by their fruits you will know them. <laughs> How do you genuinely identify what someone believes? Well, time will tell. Time will manifest it. By their fruits you will know them. You will be able to identify them. And, I, and I've said this to you before, but that doesn't mean that God has called us to be fruit inspectors. It's not my job to go around and try to determine if a person is saved or not saved. Christians do that too often. Well, I just don't see how a person can be saved living like that. Well, I, I, don't know how per, I don't know how a person can be saved being that judgy. And there you go. It's not our job to go around and figure that out. That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus was actually talking to us as individuals saying, hey, what you believe in your heart will one day become abundantly evident. You're going to live it out. It's going to manifest. You have a core faith system. You have a core belief system. If you're here this morning and, and you slipped into church for whatever reason and you claim to be an atheist, you don't believe in God, you don't have any fundamental faith in, in, a, in a creator, I'm telling you this morning, you do have faith. In fact, I would submit you probably have more faith than I do because I think it takes more faith to believe there is no God than to believe there is a God. So you do have beliefs. You do have fundamental core beliefs and you do have faith whether you want to admit it or not. We all do. We all have faith. As we said last week, faith is only as strong as the foundation upon which it is built. So we all have faith. But a person can only fake it for so long. I, I guess what I'm trying to say to you, when, when Jesus said, by their fruits you will know them, just in, 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 in common terms, in, in, in redneck language, what that means is eventually their behaviors, a person's behaviors, will reveal what they truly believe in. I don't care how long you've been in church. I, I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how much you know about going through the motions of, of church life and church culture. What you genuinely believe, who you really are, will be revealed at some point. Be manifested. By their fruits, you will know them. Is that making y'all nervous? You're looking nervous. Don't be nervous. What we're trying to do 
is not manifest all the nastiness inside of us because we all got some spots in our hearts that probably could use some fixing. Right? What we want to do is dig deep down and discover what is at the core of our belief system so that we can ensure that our beliefs are built on the right foundation. So, so here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying by, by everything I just said about you will manifest what you meditate on, what I'm not saying is that we can never violate our own personal beliefs, right? We can and we do. We talked about it last week. Again, I don't know who, who was here and how many of y'all actually took the time to watch last week. So I'm trying to bring you up to speed. But this is the definition of hypocrisy. To violate what you believe in is the definition of, of hypocrisy. And we all do it, don't we? Like, do y'all believe that you should be nice to people? Genuinely, you believe that. Because we, as we said last week, that your, your belief system ought to affect the way you, you treat people because we're created in the likeness and image of God. And, and thus, every human being ought to be treated with at least a, a certain amount of deference and respect just as being an image bearer of God himself. <laughs> I'm really getting confused right now. <laughs> I can't tell if you're following me or if you heard this, you go, dude, I already freaking knew this, man. Like you said this last week, right? I did say it last week, but I need you to know it, right? The definition of hypocrisy is living out in a way that violates what you actually believe deep down in your heart. And we often do that. But, but just because sometimes our conduct is, is contradictory to our convictions does not mean that we don't have the conviction. It just means sometimes we get sideways, doesn't it? And so, so here's how we ended last week, and here's how we'll begin this week. Yes, this is the beginning. <laughs> last week, we ended with, with two questions, and I'm going to present the first one and then, and then unpack that just a little bit and then talk to you about the second one. But the first question was simply this, what is at the core of your faith system? And I left you with that question because I, I wanted you, hopefully, to take some time to think about that this week. What is, if you really get introspective and you really try to examine your own heart, what do you find at the core of your faith system? This is so important. This is exactly what Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is why we're spending so much time on it, because it's so vital that we understand that, that, that what we believe at the very base of, of our belief system is, is, is fundamental to everything else. It's vital to everything else. It, could, it, could, it will determine the, the difference between living a successful Christian life and hearing Jesus say, well done, now good and faithful servant, or standing in his presence and realizing, yeah, I was saved by the grace of God, but that's all I ever got. I didn't build from there. So what is at the core of your faith system? Everyone has a core belief system from which everything else flows. So, so listen to this, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24. You don't have to turn there. I make people lazy around here. We just throw it all on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24. Jesus said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll, he said, I'll tell you who he's like. He's like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. I just want to throw a timeout in here. Isn't it amazing how well God's word fits together? It's a completely different portion of scripture, completely different writer, but same concept. Jesus said, if, when somebody builds their house, on the rock, let the floodwaters flow, let the winds blow and beat on that house. It will stand firm if it's built on a rock. But verse 26, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. I'll just go ahead and jump ahead. I don't mean to spoil it for you, but wind will blow in your life and you will face storms in this life. So the difference between being crushed by the pressures and the stresses and the storms of this life is the difference between the foundation upon which you have built your life. So when we discuss faith in this context, we understand that faith is, is very literally a theological construct. Just like building a house, 
if the foundation is weak, everything structurally will be weak as well. And it doesn't matter what materials you decide to build moving forward, if the foundation is corrupt, everything else will eventually fall apart. Right? I don't care if you, he said, look, you can build with gold, you can build with silver, we don't do that around here, but he said, you can build with gold, with silver, with precious stones, you can pick the finest materials. But if the foundation is corrupt, if the foundation is faulty, if it's weak, if you've built on shifting sand, when the, when the storms do blow into your life, it's going to be destroyed. So, so think about what Jesus is saying right here. By the way, again, let me just say this, but, but we, we, we tend to want to rush things in our spiritual journey. Anything that's worth doing takes time. You all understand that, right? Anything that's worth doing takes time. And again, I don't want to be too transparent. Sometimes I'm a little too transparent. But I'm intentionally being a little bit redundant in this portion of the series. Number one, because Paul was on the subject. And number two, because I recognize that this is, I'm not trying to preach just little cutesy sermons to you. So that we can go out and go, oh man, what a great sermon that was today. Boy, he was on. Y'all don't ever say that? You act like you never said that. <laughs> but I want you to actually understand that, that what, we're, what we're dealing with here is vital. This could be the difference. Number one, it could be the difference between heaven or hell. If your faith is built on your self-righteousness or your faith is built on your religion, we're not just talking about living a good life or a bad life. We're talking about eternity in the presence of God or eternity separated from the presence of God, and that's a big deal. But beyond that, just in this world, what I'm saying to you is, is it, and, and look, if, you, if you're, I, I asked how many of y'all, I could look around. I know some of y'all are building, building houses right now. It's fun when it's this cold outside, isn't it? But, but the reality is you, you, you recognize the fact. In fact, you don't want your contractor to rush too fast do you you walk out one day no house next day there's a house you're gonna dad gum it what you cut some freaking corners bud i know it right the reality is anything that's worth doing takes time so i want you to think about what jesus said here when he talks about building a house on on solid rock versus building a house on sinking sand think about what jesus is saying he 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 predicates the rest of the thought by saying whoever hears these words of mine and does them that's the foundation whoever hears these words of mine and does them what did jesus say that he needs us to hear you ever think about that if we're going to break the text down if we're going to really kind of come to some sort of conclusion to understand and extrapolate what Jesus meant in that analogy, which we've all heard it. Again, if you've been in church any length of time, even as a child, you probably heard the analogy of building on a rock versus building on the sand. But what did Jesus actually mean? What did Jesus say that he needs us to hear? Because he said, whoever hears these words of mine and does them. Well, um, I think it's safe to say Jesus said a lot of things. Am I right? He said a lot of things. He said so many things, in fact. I love this statement in the Bible, in the book of John, the conclusion of the Gospel of John says, if all that Jesus ever said or did were to be recorded, even the libraries of the world could not contain the volumes of the books. So Jesus said a lot. And we have a lot of it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have a lot of the things that Jesus said and that Jesus did. But, but specifically, what was Jesus referring to when he said, if you'll hear this and do it, You'll be like someone whose house is built on the rock. Well, the most common theme of the life and ministry of Christ was that in his own words, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. If, if, if we just put into synoptic terms the purpose for Christ coming into the world, for God manifesting himself in human form, if we just broke that down into common language, and, and, and again, just, just Cliff Notes version, why did Jesus come into the world? Jesus came into the world, again, by his own admission, to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, that's us. I was lost, but now I'm found. So when Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
will be like someone whose house is built on a rock. Well, the very first thing you have to do is receive the purpose for which Christ came into the world, and that was to save you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Have you heard that message for yourself? I mean, heard it. Not here, but here. Has it, has it really gotten deep down in your heart where you recognize the fact it's not your mom, it's not your dad, it's not your brother, not your sister, not your neighbor that needs the new birth in Christ Jesus? It's you that needs to be saved. Have you ever come to that point of realization? I don't care if you, your mom was a Sunday school teacher, your dad was a deacon, your grandpa was a preacher. You have to come to that point on your own, that crossroads where you realize that I am the one that's lost. I'm the one that needs saving. I'm the one that needs a redeemer. You have to come to that point in your life where you recognize Christ is the only way, he's the only truth, and he's the only life that can deliver. So then what happens when we hear that? Well, faith comes by hearing, the Bible says in Romans 10, verse 17, and hearing by the word of God. Do you see the connection? Whoever hears these words of mine and does them. Well, what do we need to hear? Well, first you need to hear the word of faith that Paul talked about in Romans 10, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved with the heart. Man believes unto righteousness with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. That's the new birth. But from there, he said, faith comes by hearing, and I mean really hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Do you know what happens when you hear God's Word? You hear more. (laughs) This is deep stuff, okay? I want you to recognize how brilliant that statement was. But it's true. When When you hear the Word of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, when you receive the, what the Bible calls the engrafted word of truth, the, the word of the gospel that saves us, when we hear that and receive that, then from there, God will begin to give you more material to build on that foundation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is something different about hearing God's word preached and spoken that's vital to your spiritual health. And people minimize the importance of church, and we, we downplay it. And, 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 and I absolutely be the first one to tell you that church is not four walls and a, and a, and a roof. It's, it's the people, right? We understand that, that church is the people. Don't we? And we could gather in a field and still have church. I don't want to. It's cold. But we could because the church is the people. But, but, but because we, we, we understand that, sometimes we take it too far and we downplay the importance of church. Well, I can worship God anywhere. Well, but, but, but the problem is, you understand in the context of 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, in fact, there's a whole bunch in Corinthians that we're going to deal with on this topic. God does give you spiritual leaders and people whose knack is to understand the Word of God and explain the Word of God. Not that you can't understand the Bible on your own, but God, one of the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church is he gives people the ability to to articulate and explain God's word in a practical fashion and help us understand it on our front porch. So what happens when, when you hear the word of God? What happens when you receive the word of God? Well, then God gives you more. Uh, Several years ago, I was going through some, some major crisis in my faith, I was really struggling with some things that I believed in. Many of you have heard my testimony, but, but, but I was really struggling with some things that I'd been taught, and I was going back to the scriptures and restudying things on my own and, and, and trying to think outside the little box and, and, and the little system that I'd been trained up in, in the denomination that I was in at the time. And, and as I was studying some of these things, things were coming to light. I was going, you know what? That's not even, what, that's not even true. And I shared some of it with a, with a much older preacher that I was very close to at the time. And, and, and I just shared my heart with him and shared him some things that God was showing to me. And he made a statement that I'll never forget. I won't forget it because I wrote it in the front of my Bible. But he said, he said, as long as you respond to the light that God's given you, God will give you more light. But if you stop responding to the light, then that's all the light you'll receive. 
In other words, as God reveals things, this is, this is the process of growth. This is the process that, that we use the word that's given to us in Scripture, sanctification. This is the process of sanctification. That God deals with us about little things, and he walks us along, and he gently guides us, and he deals with us, and he'll reveal things to us. His word says of itself in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Have you ever sat in a church service and left that church service thinking you were the only one that guy was talking to? I know you have, because some of y'all tell me that. You were talking to me tonight. Well, the truth is, I was. I was talking to you. I told a lady, one, I had a lady one time get mad at me. Can you believe this? She was mad at me because she said I was preaching right at her. I said, well, who'd you, hear me, who, who'd you come to hear me preach to? <laughs> That's a valid question. <laughs> Don't you think? Who'd you come to hear me preach to? Well, you know what I mean. I don't actually know what you mean. If you want me to preach to your neighbor, bring them. Whoever you want me to preach, plant them in that seat and I'll preach to them too. But the reality is the reason why we feel that way sometimes, and I'm not saying preachers can't get on their little soapbox agendas, that happens, right? Of course, I, I would never, but, um, but, but the reality is when, when you're hearing God's word proclaimed, by someone who really is grounded in the truth and really is at least, and I love, I love the language Paul uses about being led by the Spirit. We're going to deal with this later, but let me get ahead of myself just a little bit. There's a point in the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul is being, he's, he's, he's being divinely inspired by God to write the words of God. It's what we call plenary inspiration. Like God told him exactly what to write. And there's a point when Paul's writing where he makes this statement. I love it. It's one of my favorite things he says in 1 Corinthians. He says after saying a whole bunch of stuff, giving a whole lot of, lot of, lot of assessments and, 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 his, and his, 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 his general outcome on different issues they were dealing with, at the end of it all, Paul says, and I think I have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's a great statement. And it gives me a lot of comfort because you'll never hear me stand in front of you and go, God told me. Holy Ghost told me. That's one of the most manipulative things anybody can ever say to you. But I will tell you, I try to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so when you got somebody who's genuinely trying to follow, God is going to sometimes just ring your bell and it's going to feel like he's speaking specifically to you. Right, Mark? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't even know if Mark's sitting over there. I can't see. Oh, right, Wayne? Yeah, see? Sometimes it'll feel like God is speaking specifically to you. And when we stop responding to the voice of God's Spirit as he draws us, to, to, to go deeper with him in our beliefs, to go deeper with him in our faith, wherever we draw that line and say no more is where we'll stop growing. And so when Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine, we understand that the faith that we have comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we hear the word of God and we receive the word of God and begin to apply the word of God, God keeps giving us more material to build upon, which leads us to question number two that I left you with last Sunday. And we've only got 30 minutes left, so I have to hurry with this point. But question number two was, was, are you adding to, or what rather, what are you adding to and or building on that foundation? What are you adding to and or building on that foundation? Now, if I were to say, how many of you know Jesus as your Savior? I would think that I would, I would hear a resounding cry of people who raise their hands. Yes, I know Jesus as my Savior. My question is, what are you doing with that? What are you building on that faith? When it, when it comes to faith, are you, are you proactive or reactive? Because in my experience, most people are reactive in their faith. Something bad happens, we react. Oftentimes, we, we react negatively. Well, where was God? Well, the question is, where were you? <laughs> God's going to show up, but the, but the fact is we shouldn't be waiting on some tragedy to all of a sudden try to employ this sort of, uh, this sort of notion of faith. The truth is we ought to be living a proactive life actively and aggressively building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, want, you, I want you to try to relate this. Relate your spiritual life with your physical life. Ready? 
what would your physical life look like if you were equally as active in that as you are your spiritual life? What would your physical life look like if you were equally active in your physical life as you are in your spiritual life? If you treated your physical health like you treat, and I'm not saying we got everybody in the rooms a health nut, I see a few of you weirdos, but, but we all at least take in enough nourishment on a daily basis to sustain life. That's evidenced by the fact that you're sitting here, right? I don't see any of y'all look like you're withering away today. But so think about what Jesus said. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know why he made a statement like that? That's a correlating statement. He said, understand just as much as you need physical nourishment to sustain life, you need spiritual nourishment. And if you treat your spiritual life the same way you treat your physical life, you'll probably be getting stronger rather than weaker. Because we treat physical things, we treat material things, often with a very high level of attentiveness and diligence because we recognize the outcome if we let ourselves go physically, if we let ourselves go financially, if we let ourselves just sort of float through life with no, no real purpose, then eventually we're going to see the negative results of that at some point in time. And the truth, that, that, that truth remains in, your spirit, in a spiritual application. You have to be proactive in your spiritual journey. See, here's what first, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. This is where I said I could get into a little sub-series, but I'm not going to. Don't even ask. But here's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 5, in reference to this concept. He said, but for this very reason, now notice the, the verbiage, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. The word virtue, again, just a very basic definition, Virtue means strength from straining. Strength from straining, meaning you're, you're exercising your faith. You're putting more weight on the bar. You're trying to press more every day. You're trying to get stronger in that area. So he says, listen, you have to add to your faith exercise, virtue. You've got to stretch yourself. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to do things that are going to cause you to move outside of this realm of stagnation and sitting still because the reality is if you're not working and building and proactively seeking to grow, you won't. And he says at the end when you meet Jesus, you'll be saved, absolutely, because you're saved by grace through faith. But what have you built upon that faith? What have you added to that foundation? Add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. I got a series out there somewhere. I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. But I got a series out there from 2019 called Steps on this Passage, where we add little by little. I'm talking almost like having a blueprint. God said, here's what you do. Add to your faith, add virtue to it. Figure out what that means. Figure out how to apply that. And then to your virtue, add some knowledge. Grow in your knowledge. There's nothing wrong with being more knowledgeable in your faith. And then to that, continue building. But here, here's the problem. Most are very passionate about their ideologies, but very passive in their faith. We're good at attaching ourselves to systems, right? Anybody coming from another church? What kind of church is this? Not what do you believe about the gospel? Who do you think Jesus is? Do you believe the Bible? They want to know the denominational tag. Why is that? Because we're passionate about ideologies and we're passive in our faith. We need to flip the script and become more passionate about our faith and a little more passive in some of our own little personal hobby horse soapbox ideologies and recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if we're going to claim him as Lord at all in our lives, he's got to become Lord of all because he's the foundation of all that we believe in. As a Christian, what you do with your faith is what you will give an account for when you stand in the presence of God. See, this is why we read chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul said, let a man so account of us 
as ministers of the gospel, as stewards of the mysteries of God. And then verse number two, he said, moreover, more abundantly, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The greatest ability any person possesses is dependability. He said, you don't have to, you don't have, to have all the skill sets, all the talents, all the abilities that other people have. If you'll just be faithful of what God's given you, God will give you more. And you can build on that. We have to learn how to steward, how to manage the gifts and the resources that God has entrusted to us. If you're a parent, your children are God's heritage in your life. They're a gift that God's given you. Amen? Aren't they just little bundles of joy? No, they're challenging, aren't they? Kids can be jerks. We got to try to raise them to not be. But they're God's gift that, that we've been given to manage. My children aren't mine, they're God's. I get to manage them. I get to love them. I get to train them. I get to teach them. I get to try to help shape their lives and guide them. But hear me out. If you're a parent, God's given you your family to manage, and it's what you're going to answer to him for. As ministers, as those who serve in the greater cause of the kingdom of Christ, we're going to answer for the gifts that God entrusted to us. Whatever gift you've been given, whether great or small, you'll answer one day for what you did with that gift, how you built that gift on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because all of our gifts ought to be radiating the message of the gospel. So the question that I left you with last week and the question I want to leave you with this morning is what are you adding to, what are you building on the foundation of your faith? The question for some might be, is your faith really built on Christ? Or are you trusting in a religion? Are you trusting in some experience that you had? Are you trusting in a baptism? Are you trusting in some kind of work or sacrament that you've just gone through the motions? Or maybe you even repeated some prayer that somebody told you to say, but you had no idea what you were saying or why you were saying it. Your faith has to be real to you. You have to have that personal experience with Christ, but just between you and him. So today... Is your life built on the foundation of Christ? And if so, what are you adding to it? Let's stand. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask for your blessing to be on us now. Lord, help us to be introspective, to really search our own hearts. And God, I pray that if there's a faulty foundation, a 